Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. As you would imagine, as we begin our series in 1 Peter, our scripture reading is from the first few verses of this letter. And imagine if you could for a moment that uh, you're back with these young churches in what is now Turkey, and uh, you get this letter from this person that you've heard about called Peter. You knew that he was one of the disciples, someone who walked beside Jesus for several years, and you're sort of sit on the edge of your stool or sit on the edge of the mat that you're sitting in in these homes in these small emerging churches filled with anticipation of what this man who knew Jesus and had lived his life following Christ has to say to you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Redwood City, San Carlos, Woodside, Atherton, China, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you and me. To which God's people said, amen, right? There's some... Great stuff there. Hello, everybody. Happy uh, Sunday. It's great to be with you. My name is Gary. I'm the lead pastor around here. And some of you are going, why are you wearing a Niners jersey? Because you know I'm a Raiders fan. But Ronnie Lott played for both teams. And so uh, it's a segue. And little known fact, did you know that every year the Raiders moved, the Niners won the Super Bowl? When they moved out of Oakland to L.A., that year the Niners won the Super Bowl. When they moved out of L.A. back to Oakland, guess who won the Super Bowl? And this year, they're moving to Las Vegas, and you're welcome, okay? (laughs) Awesome. Hey, uh, Peter mentioned um, um, a high schooler, and I want you to know we have a high schooler that's been serving us every week, and she's going to kill me for saying this. Can I do this? I guess, okay, Clara, will you stand up? This is a junior at Carlmont High School. She plays percussion for us every week. Can we just thank Clara? It's great to love it. She, does she not have the best smile ever? Clara, it's great to be with you. Please meet her. She's great. So I'm going to pray for us and pray for Clara and other teenagers to ground their identity in Christ. It's never been harder to be a teenager than today. Father, we love you and we thank you. And oh, your word is true. Your word is right. Your principles are great. When we know who we are, we know how to live. Thank you for the word of Peter's testimony. Thank you for greats like Chuck Madden and others who serve on college campuses. Thank you for Clara being with us and this um, other teenager that Peter mentioned. Lord, we pray for a sweeping of your Holy Spirit to overcome the next generation with your love, with your definitions of who they truly are in you. Lord, thank you for this moment. 
Uh, if this week has taught us anything, we have no guarantee of the next moment. So we celebrate right here, right now. Community is gathered. The word is open. You have been exalted. You will continue to be. Meet us here, we pray in Christ's name. Everyone said? All right, bring out your Bibles. Everybody open them to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to encourage you to bring a Bible to this, um, to this and through this series. We're going to go through the whole book of 1 Peter from now until Easter. Um, you have an insert in your message notes, Grace and Truth. Our desire is to equip the body of Christ and to have uh, civil conversations around the whole topic of sexuality uh, as a church. And how do we live like Jesus, anchored in truth, but stewarding our convictions graciously and lovingly. Um, so if you want to come and join us, 20 bucks is for materials. It's going to be a great time, okay? So you know I love my daughters. That's no secret. And I love what they love, uh, especially for me. What's been great having five girls is jumping into children's literature and children's art. I miss that growing up. Uh, that wasn't my parents' practice. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, at times is a grind, like a year ago when my daughter was involved in Lion King Jr. And for a whole weekend, I sat through three performances of fourth graders doing Lion King Jr. That, you know, sometimes that gets tough. But what I love is, um, like JoJo, that same daughter, she's been fascinated with a play which has become a movie uh, called Into the Woods. Do you know about this? Uh, it's an amazing story written by James Lapine and uh, Lapine. He uses characters from Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel, and Cinderella. It's a musical. He combines them all into one story. The characters are talking about their wishes and their hopes and their dreams. And then as the story goes, for each of them to see their dreams come true, they have to go into the woods where they face many personal trials along the way. It is fascinating, everybody. Um, the viewer, what we begin to understand is the woods is a metaphor for leaving your comfort zone and taking risks and venturing into the unknown. On the other side of the woods, on the other side of the unknown, on the other side of scary is where your dreams come true. Now, throughout scripture, as I think through that and think through art, I think art reflects the greater narrative of God, most art. God continually calls people into the woods. Think of Genesis 12, Abraham. God called him out. Think of Moses in Exodus 3. God called him out. Think of Esther when she wanted to leave the king's palace. God called her to the king. Think of Ruth when she wanted to go back to Moab. God called her. Think of Mary. We studied her last December. God called her into the woods and she gave an unreserved, uh, I'm sorry, a no reserve yes to God. Peter, think of him, how God called him into the woods. Think of Elsa. Oh, wait a second, that's Frozen 2. Different story, okay? All of them, one way or another, you read your Bible, our history. Think of the greats in history from the biblical times forward. God asked people, join me into the woods. Join me on this adventure. Join me into the unknown. Don't place your obedience. Don't place the limits of it on your knowledge base. I'm calling you out into something. It's scary. It's unknown. But Jesus promises, get this, not only to take you through, but he meets you on the other side. And we will never fulfill our full redemptive potential without going into the woods. 
Because as a father, God has a much grander and eternally significant narrative. I wish we believed that. I, I, I wish I believed that. A much grander and eternally significant narrative intended for us than we could ever create on our own. It's the beauty of coming to Christ, right? Have you sensed God calling you into the woods? Can you identify what God has put in your heart? I want to introduce you to a very uh, good friend of mine, someone I actually look up to. She serves us uh, on our leadership team. She serves us by giving leadership uh, from the pews and oversight into our ministry. This is Rebecca Mathias. And Rebecca is one of the people uh, that God called into the woods to leave PCC Farm Hill and start a venture, a new venture down at Hudson. So can we please welcome and by welcoming and thank Rebecca for being here. Uh, I so appreciate your life and tell us the story of God leading you and Ben into the woods. Well, back in 2017, we all had the invitation to leave Farm Hill and start PCC Hudson downtown Redwood City. And that call was a scary call for me. I didn't want to leave the comfort of Farm Hill and I was uncomfortable and a little bit scared to leave the safe community and get to see um, our body on a weekly basis. But we felt really called to go. Um, and especially my husband, Ben, he felt we need to go and be part of this new vision to go to the people um, and start PCC Hudson. So we did. And I won't lie, it was actually pretty challenging at first. I miss seeing all of you every Sunday morning. I miss being part of the greater body. I was also a new mom. I was a nursing mom. I miss the comforts of our women's lounge and um, being in a cement, on a cement floor with my baby every Sunday in the back. But that was so minor and so trivial to what God has been doing and continues to do downtown at PCC Hudson. Um, I've been blown away by the fellowship that we've experienced and also who God's been bringing to Redwood City and inside our doors. So fast forward last year, um, my baby was now one and I was getting out of the newborn fog and suddenly noticed everybody sitting around me on Sunday mornings. And I saw that there were all these young, new people that I didn't know coming every single Sunday to PCC Hudson. And I felt this burden and passion to get to know them, but more importantly, I wanted them to know the Lord and I wanted them to connect with each other. So we started a small group a year ago. And I could have never dreamed what has happened in the last year with this small group. Um, first off, it's amazing to get to know who God's bringing to Redwood City. We have people from all over the world in our small group of 14 people, a couple of women from Wait, Africa. That's not, that's not really a, that's, that's a big small group. A 14 people. I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we're going and we have a couple of women who've moved here from Africa. We have a young couple from the UK we have people from all over the United States who have moved here to Redwood City in the last couple years for their jobs. And as we got to know them and meet on a weekly basis for an eight-week Bible study, that quickly turned into another eight-week Bible study and into another eight-week Bible study, and we're about to start a, an, our final um, round of eight weeks coming up. 
But what's so amazing to me is just seeing how God has used them in our body and in Redwood City in just a short amount of time. Um, All of these people are new to PCC, new to Redwood City, and they're serving in leadership opportunities. Um, They are greeting. They are teaching Sunday school on Sunday mornings. They are making coffee in the back. Um, And more importantly, they are... uh, They have connected with each other, and as a result, they are reaching their neighborhoods together as a family. So they are having weekly game nights and inviting their neighbors every week to enjoy fellowship with games. They are, um, they've been doing outreaches, and when I asked them what, how this small group has impacted them, they they all shared with me that before this group, they felt alone, they didn't feel connected here, and now they feel like they have a family. Um, so it's just been really amazing to see what God's been doing in them and through them just in this one year. So you didn't set out to say, you know, we're going to go to Hudson and we're going to start a study and that's going to branch out into neighborhood groups. You just followed Jesus one step at a time, right? Yeah, we, I, I don't think we ever pictured um, who God intended to bring to Redwood City and the space that he wanted um, them to enter into. So it's been really, it's been amazing. What would you say to everybody who's looking at their woods and considering, do I go, do I leave the comfort zone? Not talking about moving to PCC Hudson, but it could be a lot of things. What would you encourage them based on your experience following Jesus into the woods? My, well, my word for this season is available. So first and foremost, be available to what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in your life. And then go, go and take the path that requires the greater level of faith. Um, because it always ends up being greater, what God does, greater than what you could have imagined. Awesome. Can we thank Rebecca for that? Thank you. First Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter's writing to people who ventured into the woods with Jesus and they're scattered, as Peter said, Peter, our Peter, Peter Perkins said, scattered throughout the Roman Empire in modern day Turkey. The heat is rising. It's not easy to stay true to Jesus and they're considering abandoning the faith, okay? And here's how he starts out. First Peter 1.1, you ready? Peter, stop right there. Remember him? This is Jesus' closest friend, He stands as a New Testament poster child for failure and faith. All of it comes in following Jesus. No one's perfect. For almost three years, think about this, three years, he was a recipient of every word that came out of Jesus' mouth. He heard all the red letters in our Bible. He witnessed all the miracles. By the way, you know we only, one scholar says we only have about two months recorded in the scripture of Jesus' 33 years of life. But for three years, Jesus, uh, Peter heard it all. He was at every campfire. He faced every sunrise with our Lord, every swim in the Sea of Galilee, every mile on the dusty roads between villages, Peter and Jesus. Can you imagine the stories that Peter could tell? Raising Jairus' daughter on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus as he is right now, but seeing him on planet Earth. I, I want to ask him, what was it like to have the look in Jesus' eyes? Like in the upper room before Jesus was going to die when he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Peter. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. 
Or Peter, what was it like in the courtyard when you, when you cussed and cursed and denied Christ and, and Luke says your eyes met with Jesus? What was the look in his eyes at that point? Or Peter, what was it like on the Sea of Galilee in John 21 when you just swam back to the shore and went for a walk with Jesus and three times he looked you in the eyes knowing you had failed him and said, feed my sheep, Peter. This is that Peter. The Peter who had the guts to get out of the boat. The Peter who actually rebuked Jesus after he announced he was going to the cross. This is the Peter whose name was Simon, then was changed to Peter, who at one point, Jesus called him Satan. This is that Peter. This is the Peter who pulled out the dagger when the Roman guards came to arrest Jesus and took a swing defending his Lord, cutting off someone's ear. This is the Peter the angel singled out to Mary, the first eyewitness to the resurrection, and said this, go tell the disciples, and Peter, I've risen from the dead. This is the Peter who was in the upper room when the fire came down and Pentecost and the church was born. He was there on day one. This is the Peter who went out of that room and preached the gospel and 3,000 people came to find new life in Christ. This is the Peter who has more speaking parts in the gospel more than anybody except Jesus, who gets more ink in the four gospels than anybody, in the whole New Testament than anybody except Jesus. Peter only writes two books of the Bible. Their language is really simple. He's a fisherman. He's not a scholar. And it's been 30 years since Jesus lived, died, lived again, and ascended to heaven. All of which Peter witnessed firsthand. He was an eyewitness to all of that. And Peter is hearing about the church in the Roman Empire. He's in Rome, most likely under arrest. And he has a concern. The church is in danger. Christians are scattered. Their faith is under fire. They've been called into the woods and they're wondering if it was worth it. The leaders and disciples of the church that Peter lived with, most of them are gone. By this point, Paul might be dead. He certainly is under arrest. He was beheaded outside of Rome. And for Peter, it doesn't look good. Jump into me with history and let me set the setting for 1 Peter. Nero, most likely, Domitian, maybe. Google those names. They were the emperor of the day. Nero hated Christians. Domitian was worse. Uh, History tells us Rome burned. Many scholars believe Nero set that fire because he wanted to rebuild Rome and be the hero. History tells us he blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome. As I told you last week, these were the Christians who would be um, taken Animal skins are wrapped around their back and they're brought into the Colosseum before the gladiator contests when animals are released. They are the sport of the day. These are the Christians when they died were tarred and lit on fire in Nero's backyard to be the light of his backyard palace uh, parties. And Peter's writing these people And he's prompted by the Holy Spirit to encourage them to expand their horizons, encouraging them what we need, what I need. Look through eyes of faith, through the lens of eternity, 
and believe as they follow Jesus into the woods, there's so much more going on than meets the eye. Peter. All right, we're one word down. This series is going to take till 2024 at this pace. (laughs) But it's so easy to read over that word, my friends, and forget who wrote this. And then he says this, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. That just means one who's sent. I actually raised five apostles. Did you know that? I have two apostles in my house. And I'll tell you, last week, my youngest apostle, her name is Jojo, uh, was downstairs. It was dinner time. My other uh, daughter was upstairs with two of her friends. And it was time for dinner. And I didn't want to go upstairs. So I sent this apostle, Jojo, go tell your sisters your sister and her friends, it's time for dinner. She's 11, they're 18, she's smaller than them, but she went in my authority upstairs and said, time for dinner, and they obeyed her. Not because of her, but because of, ready, who sent her. As if Peter didn't need any more street cred, as if he didn't have enough, he's reminding his readers and us, let me remind you who sent me to planet Earth who completely rearranged and redeemed my life with his love and his grace and his power through my repentance. And by whose authority I'm writing you. Yes, I'm a fisherman. Forgive my Greek. It's going to be very base, Peter says to his readers. But in reading this, you get the sense just by that word, apostle, you lean in and say, we better listen. It's as if God is writing something to our specific circumstance. That's the power of the word of God, my friends. God knows what you're going through, what I'm going through. And he's writing to us. Who's he writing to? To God's elect. Exiles. These aren't big words, but they sure are important. Elect means to be chosen. It means you're part of the family. Now, you need to understand, in the first century, your family meant everything. Uh, Again, Google patriarchy in the Roman Empire. Just Google that and you can uh, go off and learn a lot about what it was like to read this letter. Your family determined your class uh, in society, your status, your career, your quality of life. All of that was determined by one and only one factor. Whose family were you in? Who's your father? And in these situations in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, in the Roman Empire in the first century, these were the outcasts receiving this letter. And Peter's reminded them, yes, you may be an outcast on planet Earth, but where it really matters, you're part of a family. And I will just say this, one of the first outcomes of this, we've heard Rebecca say this, we need to form a new family. I'm all for family. You know that. I I believe in family strongly. I'm thankful for a family. I'm thankful for 29 years of marriage and five daughters. But in Christ, there is a new family that's been formed. And may we all learn from Rebecca to open our homes to everybody and start the new family and help people understand that in Christ, there's a new family. Our whole youth ministry, when Rebecca was a high schooler, when I was a youth pastor here, was built on that, a new family of God. Because when you know who you are, the elect, the chosen in a new family, you'll know how to live. When you know that you're deeply loved by God. Then he says we're exiles. It's a challenge. It's a reality. It's an encouragement. To be an exile is to be a sojourner. 
It's to be a traveler, to be an alien resident. That's the whole point of the book, my friends. Peter's coming to these people saying, your life should feel alien because your values, your, your identity, your hopes are in a different kingdom. I quote C.S. Lewis a lot because he's well-read and that Oxford scholar, um, through him when he came to Christ, he illuminates a whole new world in a, in a, and translates so much. He has this quote, probably my favorite Lewis quote. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation was that I was made for another world. And so were you in Christ. I just was thinking while I was yesterday waiting as a train was going by uh, down in Revit City, I'm like, why do I feel, why should I feel at home in this world with passcodes and locks and people, I mean, just the cultural tension in our society, the schisms and uh, places where so much happens. This is not our world. We should feel foreign. That's Peter's whole point. You missed that. You missed the whole book. This is not your home. Anchor your identity in eternity. And then he says you're scattered, and he says all over Turkey there. Now, look at this. Who have been chosen according to what? The foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge. So come back with me. 12 years, Super Bowl, I don't know what number it was. I, I wrote down the numbers. Super Bowl, I don't know, 2008, you picked the number. It was the Giants and the Patriots playing. The Giants have the record for the worst team to enter the Super Bowl, their win-loss record. The Patriots didn't lose a game almost the whole season. They lost one. And they're coming to the Super Bowl. Giants are big underdogs. And that time we had a Sunday evening service. And, uh, you know, it was always our lowest attended Super Bowl Sunday, lowest attended service of the year. And I was getting ready to go to a Super Bowl party. Uh, actually, the guy's in the room, Carl's here, uh, with New York fans. Carl's from New York. And, and so I said, I'll come after our Sunday night service. The Sunday night service ends, and I run to my car, and I'm listening to the Super Bowl on the radio. And I don't know if you remember that. That's when the New York Giants, uh, with less than a little over two minutes left, the score is 14-10. They're on their 17-yard line. They have to have an 83-yard drive against one of the best defenses in the NFL. That's where the guy made the catch on his helmet. Uh, and they end up winning the game, upsetting the Patriots. So as I'm driving up, I'm listening to this drive. And I park and I'm, I'm ready to get out, but it's, I'm like, I'm not leaving the car until I find out if they won, because I didn't want to miss it. And they won. And so I run up to Carl's driveway and run up his steps, and I'm about to run in going, yes, only to find out that in the house they were watching it, they had TiVo'd the game, and they were five minutes behind. And let me tell you, there wasn't a sound in the room because the Giants were losing. It looked hopeless. Only I had the knowledge, my friends, <laughs> how this was going to turn out. That's for knowledge. I saw the end in advance. Friends, I need to let you know that this word is much debated in our world and theological circles today. But in scriptures, it's always celebrated. 
It's always talking to Christians to give hope that, yes, things are bleak. Yes, life is tough. Jesus said in this world, John 16, 33, you're going to have trouble. But God knows the outcome. God promises if you cling to him, it's not going to be easy, but you'll get through the woods. He'll take you through. Thank you, God. Even evil one day will surrender to his lordship. Romans 8, 28. So Peter tells him this. Yes, it's tough. Yes, this is hard. But God knows how this is going to turn out. Through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. A lot of church words in there. Sanctifying just means to be set apart. To be used for a different purpose. Uh, I grew up in a different era, it seems like. I had the privilege of growing up in a, in a home, a lot of things that just don't exist today. And one of them was fine china. I mean, we had the tableware, and then my parents in some nook had the fine china that was only used on special occasions, maybe once a year uh, for like Christmas or when my brother got engaged, we brought out the fine china, right? One time, uh, my parents were gone and I had a date with my high school girlfriend and I brought out the fine china <laughs> and broke it. <laughs> and then super glued it and put it back in. <laughs> Never told them. Sorry, mom and dad. You know what Peter's doing here? He's reframing their identity. He's saying, yeah, in the Roman Empire, you're dirt. In the Roman Empire, you're sport. In the Roman Empire, they don't care about you. But in God's eyes, you're his fine china. And God's going to use the pain. God's going to use the suffering and everything that comes into the woods, in the journey into the woods, he's going to use it for his glory. See, when we've been sanctified, we've been set apart from something. We've been set apart for something. It would be worth just sitting in that today and asking the Holy Spirit, what am I set apart from? How am I different? Not for my glory, but so that people see you through me. And then God, what am I set apart for? How are we going to use this one and only life? That's what I love about Rebecca's story. Saying, God, there's probably better and greater people you could use, but are, we, we have this place. We'll make space. God loves that. And keeps bringing people to Revit City. And God's using a space set apart, a time set apart, a relationship set apart. And God's bringing new life through that. There's so much more in here that we're not going to go into. But if you look at verse 2, you see Peter is Trinitarian. You see God the Father there who does the choosing. You see the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be set apart. You see Jesus who accepts us and calls us to obedience. And then Peter says this, and I love this, and I want to close with this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Because you're going to fall short as we go through 1 Peter, and, and the enemy's going to come and want to beat you up and say, you don't deserve this. You're, what kind of Christian are you? You're terrible. You'll never live as an exile. God's not going to use you. And Peter would say, from the start, he'll close with this grace to you, abundant grace to you. The one who knew grace, who cursed out Jesus, saying, I don't even know him. This is his best friend who betrayed him. And Jesus locked eyes with him 
who met him specifically, the angel met him and said, I have, an, I have a message from God. Jesus is alive. Who met him on the beach said, feed my sheep. Grace to you. An otherworldly peace in a world fraught with violence and division as you venture out in the power of the Holy Spirit. May you have peace. See, friends, when we know who we are, we'll know how to live. And my question as we close is this, who are you? Who are you? Does your kingdom identity come before every other identity you have? Where you work, ideologies you hold on to, how you recreate. First and foremost, we are kingdom people. And may we not, oh, this is my prayer for me. May we not suffer from identity amnesia. May we remember who we are. We're exiles. We're citizens of heaven. We're called to a different standard. And lastly, I just want to ask you, where is God calling you into the woods? What point of obedience is it? It doesn't have to be grand. Just a small step. Scripture is replete with, with, um, with teachings on things and how we behave and how we should live into things. Where's God calling you into the woods? Could be relational, could be financial, could be spiritual, could be even in your prayer life, trusting God for me into the woods, trusting God for my street, engaging with my neighbors, laying down my life for my wife, for my daughters, opening our home so like Rebecca, we can create a new family identity to people. Where's that for you? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Can't wait. Gosh, we're only two verses in. I cannot wait to go through this. I pray, Lord, that you would give us that new identity. I pray that you would uh, imprint on us your love, your grace, your peace. And God, as we wrestle, and I pray we would wrestle with this into the woods theme, Lord, we'd follow you anywhere. Our response would be, yes, Lord. Rebecca taught me that. Yes, Lord. Because you're the Lord. You know what's best, better than us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Okay, I got homework for you. I want to encourage you this week in one sitting, three times, read through First Peter. Okay? One sitting, it's only five chapters, you can do this. Three times, just read through the book. That's how it was meant to be digested. And we'll come back and pick up about 10 verses next week. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.